Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Portico Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Steve, so I lead the Clarendon Campus that meets on Sunday evenings, and a special welcome to any of you who are new. So, uh, as Johnny alluded to earlier, regardless of what your church background is, if you've been going to church for a long time, or if you've never set foot in a church before, and maybe you're even uh, skeptical or antagonistic toward the Christian faith, we are really glad that you're here, and this is a, a warm space where you can see what it means to follow Jesus. So, uh, every now and then, the lead pastor of this campus, Jason, and I will swap pulpits. He's on vacation right now, and so I'm filling in for him. And what was it four weeks ago when I was here with you guys, I accidentally started with good evening, and everybody laughed at me, and I'm scarred forever. And so I I remembered this morning to say good morning. So um, yeah, so it's just, it's always a delight to be here with you guys. And so go ahead and open your Bibles if you have one with you. Uh, please, and if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the back and keep it. That'll be our gift to you. And you can follow along with me as I read. So we're continuing in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And then we'll jump in. <clears throat> Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's word. So Philippians is, it's an interesting letter because on the one hand, Philippians is one of the happiest books you'll read in scripture, but also it's profoundly realistic. And you see that play out in this text today. So just last week, uh, Pastor Nate walked you all through chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, where Paul gives the glorious riches and gifts that you get in Christ. So that's, that's very happy. And then what he does today is he gets very realistic and he wants to make sure you're sober-minded. And he says, however, just because you've been given these great gifts in Jesus, you have to persevere in holding on to them because many people do fall away. And so what Paul does today is he gives you the tools that you need to persevere and make it all the way to the end. And so it's, it's a little bit like this. So Around 100 years ago, there was a British explorer named Ernest Shackleton, and what he did is he set out on a voyage to explore Antarctica, and he put an ad out uh, to recruit people for the journey, and it said something like this, uh, men wanted for hazardous voyage, low wages, bitter cold, extended periods of darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and glory upon success, and Rumor has it that around 5,000 or so people applied for around 27 positions because the calling was so high and so noble. And I bring this up because if Jesus were to put out an ad to follow him, it wouldn't sound that much different than that. So honor and glory upon success, but few people will make it. And if you think I'm using hyperbole, I'm not. Jesus uses language like this all the time. And it was actually pretty frightening because just about a week ago, some of you may have seen this in the news, uh, but there's a very well-known pastor and Christian author, 
And uh, about a week ago, he just he came out with a public statement where he said, I'm no longer a Christian. And he, he said, yeah, I, I appreciate those of you who are praying for me and, and, and talking with me, but I'm not a believer anymore. And so e- even pastors who have been in ministry for a long time fall away. And believers or, or people who, who are in the church will, will fall away. And so what, what Paul is saying here is don't be naive. And this is especially important for this church because most of us here are pretty young and the longer you live, and either the more, just the more voices you hear, the more suffering you experience, the more tired you get, uh, it's going to become more and more tempting to just fall away. And so what Paul says here is, I'm going to give you what you need, not just to cross the finish line, but also how to bear fruit and have joy along the way. And so here's what he's going to show us in this passage. So uh, we'll look at it just using uh, the words of the text. So he'll say, forget what lies behind. And then he'll say, strain forward to what's ahead, and keep your eyes on Christ. Okay, so we'll just walk through that as we go through this passage. Forget what lies behind, strain forward to what's ahead, keep your gaze on Christ. That's how you make it to the end and bear fruit along the way. Okay, so first number one, forget what lies behind. So in verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. So the question you should ask is, what is this? And to look, to find out what this is, you need to go back to verses 10 and 11. And so when Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, if you go back, verse 10 and 11, Paul says that I may know Christ and then that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And so what Paul is saying is even me, the great apostle, greatest church planner the world's ever seen, who is personally commissioned by Jesus, even me, there are greater depths of knowing Christ that I haven't attained yet. And even now as I sit here in prison, there's still work that God has for me to do, and I haven't yet attained the resurrection of the dead, so I have to keep going. I can't sit still lest I fall away. So how does he say to keep going? Well, he says in verse 13, he says, but this one thing I do. Okay, so whatever comes after, but this one thing I do is really important. Okay, so what does he say? But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So I forget what lies behind. So here Paul is using the image of an athlete, or more specifically, of a runner. And what Paul is saying is no runner has ever successfully run a race, let alone won a race, you know, sprinting, looking over their shoulder. It only works in the movies when when people do that. Okay, so he says, I forget what lies behind. And here's what Paul means by this. What he's not saying is... I forget everything that's happened in my past. What he's saying is that my past experiences, both positive and negative, they don't define my present and they don't dictate my future. That's what he means. So all all my past experiences, accomplishments, positive and negative, it, it doesn't define my present moment and it doesn't dictate my future. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what he's saying with that. And so, um, what, and Paul gives an example of how this plays out. So last week, what he did is he gives his resume. And his resume is both, I mean, it's, it's far better than yours or mine, hands down, both professionally and morally. Uh, Paul has a, a far superior resume to any of us in the room, which is saying something because I know a lot of you have great resumes in here. And, but what Paul says is what? He says, I, I count it as dung. So like all my accomplishments, I, I don't take myself very seriously. I'm not constantly slipping in, you know, good things I've done or accomplishments I've performed. I'm not comparing myself to other people. All that matters is being known by Christ 
and knowing Christ. And, and you need to do the same, is, is what he's saying. And so here are some applications of what it looks like to forget what lies behind in the way that Paul is talking about so that you can be purposeful and fruitful in the present and continue to persevere. Okay, so, so here, here are a few things. One is, often it can be positive past experiences that hinder you in the present. And so here's what I mean by that. A lot of you, especially here in this area where a number of folks graduate from college and then move to this area for a job, a lot of y'all were blessed with very sweet experiences, uh, either in high school or in college or growing up, where you, you had a group of friends that just got you, uh, or a friendship or a re- relationship that was really precious to you, or even just a life stage that was sweet and maybe less stressful. But then what happens is, is you come here, in the hustle and bustle of D.C., and you're in this church community, and you continually compare your past to, to what's here. And so what can happen is if who's in the church and what you're experiencing in your work and where you live isn't measuring up to a prior life stage, you remain in this malaise and this, this posture of discontent, right, where you just begin to maybe remain distant or you're just, oh, well, they're not like my old friends from, from college here and you're, you're passive, maybe you start to daydream about moving, because if I move somewhere else, it's going to be better. And what, what Paul says is, forget what lies behind. So who does God have in front of you now? Who's next to you in the church now? Who are your coworkers and neighbors now? Who's in your family now? And be purposeful with them. Minister to them. Forget what lies behind. Keep your gaze on Christ. And as you do that, you won't be thinking about what was in the past and how it was better, but you'll be very intentional with those around you now. So, so I encourage you all with that, just to, to think about. So many, so many of you have gifts to offer people in this body. Just be present with them. So that's a way that a, that's a, way that a positive past experience can hinder you in the present. Uh, but what about negative past experiences? So I'm reading this book. It's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. So it's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's a pretty good book. Um, so it's, it's a memoir. So it's, it's a true story. And this author, she's a therapist. She's a counselor. And what she does is throughout the book, there's this thread of, as she talks about experiences with her counseling others, which you learn a lot about people reading the book, she ends up going to see a therapist uh, to get help for often what she provides others. And what catalyzes her going to this counselor is so she is in her early 40s and she's a single mom and she's dating this guy. And seemingly out of nowhere, this guy breaks up with her. And so she goes to a therapist because she, she's heartbroken, she's devastated. And she goes to this counselor. And so for session after session, this, this guy is just patiently listening to her. And really what, she, and she says this, really what she wants is this guy to affirm why her ex-boyfriend is a sociopath and why it's all, you know, his fault, not hers. And what she does in each session is she replays, um, is she talks about how she's still monitoring his life. So she says, you know, yeah, so I, I internet stalk him. And so I, I, I know who he's dating now, you know, based on who's liked his social media posts. And he has these amazing business trips because I saw he tweeted about a business trip. And he must be really happy without me because I saw him post a picture of a salad he was eating. And I mean, if, if he was sad, how could he even eat? And so she's going on and on. And, and finally, the counselor just walks up to her and playfully kicks her in the shin and walks back to his seat. And she goes, what was that all about? And he goes, it seems like you're enjoying the experience of suffering. She goes, what? How dare you? What do you mean? And he goes, no, what you experienced was real pain. 
that's real, and we'll work on that. But do you see what you're doing is you're willfully choosing to continue to suffer. By continuing to monitor what he's doing, you're not being present with your son, you're not moving on, and you're continually replaying the tapes of, oh, if I said this or hadn't said that, maybe we would still be together, and then I wouldn't be alone as a single mother in my 40s. He says, you have to move on. And what the counselor, I mean, he was a, he's a, he's a good counselor, but what he didn't have to offer Lori was Christ, right? And so what Paul is saying is, rather than thinking back to regrets, rather than thinking back to maybe you really blew it morally last week or five years ago, your life is no longer defined by that. It's defined by being in union with Christ, and Paul knew this better than anybody. So in 1 Timothy 1, he says, he's talking about his negative experiences, and he says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but what? But God showed me mercy. But God showed me mercy. That's what defined Paul. Not his past failures, God's mercy and knowing Christ. And so that's what enables him to continue to be fruitful in the present rather than thinking back, well, how how can I share the gospel when I did this, when I did that? And so for you too, maybe there's something, it's it's a conversation you had or didn't have, an experience you had or didn't have that you're holding on to. Let your life be defined by God's mercy. And Christ took that on the cross for you. And then finally, with respect to letting your past dictate your present, and this is, this is more weighty. Maybe, this is, maybe it's not something in your past that you did, but maybe it's something that happened to you. And because of what happened, it can be so hard to peer through the darkness and actually fix your gaze on, on what's ahead. You can barely get up out of bed in the morning and keep going. And what Paul's doing here is it's beautiful. Because what Paul said, when he says forget what's behind you, it doesn't mean you forget what happened. What Paul's doing here is he, he's not minimizing your suffering, but he's maximizing your hope. So he says, yes, what happened was real and it was painful. But because of your union with Christ, your future is very different than it would have been. So, so cling on to that, even if that's all you can do is barely cling on with a, a, just the thinnest thread of hope to the future. What's in the future? Well, Peter puts it one way at the end of 1 Peter in chapter 5, where he's encouraging those suffering. And he says it at the end of the letter. He says, after you have suffered, suffered here a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So cling on to that day. And as you do that, so we're in a strange cultural moment right now because culture places... almost a weird emphasis or badge of honor on being a victim and victimhood. And so you're encouraged in a way to remain in your victimhood status. Now, Jesus was a victim. 
more so than, than anyone in this room. Okay, the only truly innocent person who ever lived. However, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And so if you are in union with Christ, which comes from trusting in him, then his victory is your victory. So you, you are no longer defined by being a victim. Okay, but Christ's victory on your behalf. And so that's what enables you to continue to press on. Okay, so forget what lies behind. Keep your gaze on Christ. All right, so that's number one, forget what lies behind. So next Paul will say, now strain forward to what lies ahead. So it's not just a matter of not looking back, but actively strain forward to what lies ahead. So Johnny mentioned the Acts 29 conference that we went to a week and a half ago or so, and one of the speakers there reminded us of a, of a story from 1952. So there's this, there's this female athlete named Florence Chadwick. And some of you may know the story, but she was the, um, she was the first female to swim across the English Channel. And then what she wanted to do was to be the first person to swim across the Pacific Ocean from the Catalina Islands to the California coast. And so what she did uh, one morning on a cold, foggy day, uh, she got into the water and she started swimming. And as she swam, the waters were shark infested. And so she had a boat next to her with people in the boat, men in the boat holding rifles to keep the sharks at bay. And then she also had her, her mother in the boat encouraging her to keep pressing on. So hour after hour, stroke after stroke, she's, she swims toward the shore. And after about 16 hours of this, a, a deep fog descends around her, and all she can see is the fog, and she's exhausted. And she, she starts to give up, and her mom says, keep going. Don't give up. Beyond this fog is a shore. So she goes, okay. So she goes for about another hour, and finally she, she's too exhausted. The fog is too thick, and she gets in the boat. And after she gets in the boat, they keep rowing, and it turned out the shore was less than half a mile away. And at a press conference the next day, she was asked about this, and she said, all I could see was the fog. If only I could have seen the shore, I could have made it. So then just a few months later, on a day no less cold, no less foggy, no less shark-infested waters, she gets in the water again and she makes it. And after she made it, she said, as the, as the fog descended again, I kept an image of the shore in my mind and I was able to make it. And what Paul is saying here in this text is he's saying, I'm sitting here in prison bound with chains. There is fog all around me. So people outside the church are slandering me using the name of Jesus to do it. A lot of the accomplishments I wanted to achieve have now turned to ashes in my hands. I, all I see is fog around me, but yet I'm keeping my eyes fixed on the shore. So that's why I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. T toward what? The goal for the prize. What's the prize? Being with Christ in glory. We're on that day, every betrayal, every tear, that constant battle of sin within himself will be just as a, as a distant dream. So that's what he's looking forward to. He says, that's what I press on toward. And Paul made it. In 2 Timothy 4, the, the final words that he wrote, he's writing a young person named Timothy, and he says, my, my time for departure has come. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, which the Lord himself, 
the righteous judge will award to me and all those who have loved his appearing. Paul made it. And so it's as if in Philippians, he's on the boat now speaking to you, saying, keep going. Even if all you can see is fog, keep straining ahead toward the shore. Don't quit. And and so as as we think about this, Yes, absolutely, it applies to suffering and hardship, okay, if that's the fog that's around you. But also, think about it this way. So Paul says in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So he's saying a sign of, a mat- a sign of maturity as a believer isn't necessarily if you lead a community group, isn't necessarily if you're a, a deacon or an elder, or if you read your Bible every day. All those things are very good and they matter. What Paul's saying here is, Also, a sign of maturity as a believer is that the future shore, the resurrection with Christ, dictates your present. It changes how you live today. So do you live differently today because you know the shore is coming, because you know the resurrection is coming? And so here are a few examples. Um, When it comes to who you're dating or looking to date, Do you just look for somebody who's attractive or intelligent or maybe will fill an emotional need to to be wanted? Or do you look for somebody who's going to continually point you to Christ and point you toward that shore and swim there with you? And if you're married, is your day-to-day with your family, if your kids, if you have them, just making it through the day and getting on to the next day? Or is it if if you're a man leading your family in this way? Okay? And if you're a wife, working alongside your husband to do this, to, to guide your family actively toward that shore. Because that, that, that changes how you spend your evenings, how you spend your weekends. Okay? Or, or think about with your money. So the, the scriptures are, are very clear that when you've received the grace of God, you will, you will tithe at least 10% as a starting point to the local church so that gospel ministry can take place. And so I hope you all are, are doing that because it's one of the best ways to find joys to give generously as God has first been generous with you. But think about, because a lot of believers, they say, okay, I'm, I'm tithing 10%, check. But if you're living in light of the coming shore, how does that impact how you spend the rest of the 90%? And so just as an example, a friend of mine, he has a family, and so he tithes to his church. And uh, recently he was telling me how he, was, he had saved up to buy a new car. And so he had, you know, X amount of money to buy a new car. And then he came across two, two young men who were facing particular temptations. And so what he did was, instead of buying the new car, is he spent that money to refinish his basement, to then bring in the two men so they could live in his basement rent-free, so they could be around a Christian family, so they could just experience what, what a healthy lifestyle looked like. I mean, indefinitely living there. That is a wonderful example of using the money God's given you, not just for yourself. Again, I'm tithing 10%, so the rest I'll put in a retirement account, I'll put in savings account, those things are good, but are you also living in light of your future? All right, and then finally on, on this note, and this may seem like an application out of nowhere, but it's relevant to what you all are going through as a church. So in the coming couple years, you all are raising up new elders, So new elders are being raised up in your midst, and you all as members will need to affirm these men as people that you trust to to shepherd over this flock. 
And often when people look at affirming an elder, they look at, so yes, ability to teach is important and it matters. Character, especially in the home, it matters. But often believers will also, okay, how much do I like this person? Person, How charismatic are they? And looking at what we're talking about and, and swimming, pressing toward the prize, swimming toward that shore in the midst of the fog, affirm elders who love you enough to, from the boat, get your eyes off of your selfishness and foolishness maybe, which is the, oftentimes the cause of the fog around you, and point you toward the shore. One of the, just being an elder, one of the hardest things about being an elder is confronting somebody in love when somebody is making either just a decision or living a lifestyle that isn't wise or, or in active sin. It's, it's, it's horrible because everybody says they want correction and they want to be mature until they're actually confronted on it. And you, you don't know how people are going to respond. Often they don't like you in the moment. And so my encouragement to you all is, is, is you look at elders and, and you, you examine their life over the next couple of years. Look for men that will love you enough to maybe even make it so you don't like them in a moment because they care about your future. And they actually care about you making it. Because okay, sometimes it's like, why do you care about who I'm dating? Or why do you care about my involvement in the community? Or, or, how, or my church attendance? Or how I'm serving? <laughs> they care because they, they want to see you make it. Okay, so forget what lies behind. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Keep your gaze on Christ. So why do we do this, Portico Church? Why do we forget what lies behind so we can be purposeful in the present? Why do we strain forward to what lies ahead, even though it often means death to your selfish ambitions, death to your desires, being uncomfortable? Why do we do it? Why on an ordinary Sunday evening, or Sunday, sorry, I just did it. Um, <laughs> why on an ordinary Sunday morning in August, or in August right now, right? <laughs> Do you strain forward and live in light of the coming shore? Well, Paul says why. He says, I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul knows this and he wants you to know it. And so if you're here today and you know Jesus, or you're here and you're even interested in knowing Jesus, the only reason that is true is because when you wanted nothing to do with Christ, when you were at your worst, Jesus looked at you, and then he entered into a race of endurance. So he forgot what was behind. In the incarnation, he came to earth, and in every act of obedience, which was hard to do, every act of compassion every act of tenderness, every act of fighting temptation from Satan itself, it was done not just because he was a good guy, but he did it because he loved the Father and because he knew that every act of obedience, active and passive, was to be done to be credited to your account so that you could be counted as righteous. And as he did that, he had to stop thinking about life would be so much better if I was back in heaven with the Trinity. And then in Gethsemane, when all he could see was fog, when he fell onto his knees, 
crying out to God, and all he could feel was the weight of what he was about to do. He said, Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. He looked past the fog toward the shore, toward his prize. What's his prize? It's you. So he kept running. He kept swimming. Stroke after stroke. Because you are his prize. And then he went to the cross where he took all of your sin right into his heart and got plunged into hell and then raised from the dead to break the power of darkness and sin and death over your life and then indwell you with his spirit so that you have everything you need. All his power, all his grace, all his mercy. You have everything you need to make it to the end. That's what Paul means when he says, I push on toward the, the, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. That upward call is God's call in your life, where he indwells you with his spirit, gives you everything you need. So what Paul is saying here is, I says, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So even as I sit here bound with chains, the love and power of Christ is not bound. It's not bound in my life, and it's not bound in your life. So take heart, Philippians. Take heart, Portico Church, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So it doesn't matter how weary you are. It doesn't matter how difficult it is to let go of your past. It doesn't matter how hard it is to look through the fog onto that coming shore. Forget what lies behind. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Keep your gaze on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, because on the other side of the cross of Christ is his empty tomb. And just as it was for Christ, so it will be for you. On the other side of this straining forward is the crown. On the other side of the fog is the shore. Where the Lord, the God of all grace, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and establish you. And what a day that will be. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for making me your own. Thank you for making anyone here who's trusting in you your own. And for anybody here who's not, I pray that today will be the day that they fall into your arms and enjoy the freedom of being your own. And help every one, us, one of us in here, Lord, whether we are in here with a limp right now or in a very sweet season. May you, by the power of your grace and mercy and your Holy Spirit within us, help us to forget what's behind and press on toward what's ahead as we keep our gaze on Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.